Hey, everybody. Join us as we delve into our favorite dark tales and paranormal mysteries. Venture with us beyond the safe places that exist in daylight as we go Beyond Beyond the the shadows. Shadows. True crime. Paranormal. Hauntings. UFOs. Cryptids and unsolved mysteries. Conspiracy theories. Past lives. Reincarnation. And all the like are just a few of the topics that we will tackle. If it haunts your fucking dreams, then it will be on our show. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Shadows, episode 28. Welcome back, guys. So we got some breaking news in here, if you guys have not heard. Uh, Gold miners in Peru are now wearing jetpacks and masks to scare away villagers from their gold. Just like Scooby-Doo, right? exactly. That's exactly it. (laughs) Yeah, so there was a story about a week back that in Peru... There was uh, some villagers that claimed that they were actually being attacked by aliens. Seven-foot aliens. Seven-foot aliens wearing armor. And they were for real. They're not, they're not joking. Not to make light of what they, what they believe is going on, but they really believed that they were being attacked by these aliens. When they claimed that they tried to take a 15-year-old girl, and she got like a cut, scratch across her neck, and they ended up taking her to the hospital. And the villagers actually... We're speaking to the military there, and they wanted the military to come out and protect them and find out what was going on and everything. Did they? They fired a round or two, didn't they? Yeah, they said one of them claimed a shot, like two or three shots into one, and it said it went down, but it got up like it didn't affect it at all. But and these aliens supposedly are like levitating, like what like Ryan said, like off the ground, like I think they said up to like a meter. It's kind of they described it as like the Green Goblin. You know, so, I mean, it just sounds so crazy, but these villagers believe it. Yeah. So the government came out and they had an explanation and their explanation was, like Ryan said. Weather balloon. Was a weather balloon. (laughs) (laughs) They just stick with it. It was swamp gas. (laughs) No, what they said is they said that it was gold miners trying to scare the the villagers dressed as aliens or whatever. And they said they were flying around with jetpacks. I don't know what gold miners have jetpacks. The whole story is just (laughs) so crazy. Business is booming. Right? (laughs) They're obviously got a lot of gold. It it doesn't matter what country it is. The explanations are so lame. It's Uh, almost like they've got to be trying to make them lame. I mean – They've got to be trying to make them laughable. These this story seems so unrealistic to start with that you could have just been like, yeah, just let it go, you know. But <laughs> people they, are going to laugh at the villages as it is, you right? Have to throw They've already done it to themselves because yeah. it seems so ludicrous. But then they come out with their explanation is just as bad, yeah. you know. It's a, it's an insane story. I recommend you go look at one of the videos, whatever they have video. But it's so bad. The video is so bad you can't tell what the hell you're That's looking the thing at is with the low quality video. You could. Yeah, you can't be a skeptic so. or a believer. There's just not enough there to tell. Right, but it's it's a 
interesting story. It's interesting enough to go check out a few videos and see what you think. And once you do, send send your comments or whatever to us at beyondtheshadows207 at gmail.com. Let us uh, know what you think. Or just say hi. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah, send some fire pit stories. You know, we're getting a little low on those. (laughs) Tanks running low. Uh, So this is Scott's week. What do you got for us, bud? I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do the Betts Sphere. (laughs) I'll probably mess that word up like 20 times when I do it. He's going to do both. Sphere and Sphere. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be right back. All right, in April 1974, the Betts family was inspecting their property for damage from a recent fire that had broken out and burned 88 acres of land on Fort George Island. Fort George Island is an island just outside of Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, all right. So among the searchers were Terry Matthew Betts, a medical student, his mother Jerry, and Father Antoine. While there, they found what was... An interesting metallic sphere. The sphere seemed undamaged by the fire that had engulfed everything else around it. So basically, the whole area is just burnt almost to the ground. But then there's this big metal sphere just sitting there out in the middle of the, what would have been woods before. Yeah. So the sphere seemed to be in perfect shape. It was highly polished metal surface with nothing on it other than a small engraved triangle around three millimeters in size. Three millimeters is crazy small. I tried to look. There are pictures of this sphere, but I tried to look for the... I didn't find any of the actual triangle engraving. That's really small. Yeah. So it was just less than eight inches across and weighed around 21 pounds. Just the whole sphere? The whole sphere. It's about the size of a bowling ball. At first, they thought it might be a cannonball, but decided it probably wasn't because of how well-preserved it had been. The spear had no seams on it. They could not find a single weld on the entire object. Next, they thought maybe it belonged to the government or even part of a downed Soviet satellite. Since this was around the time of the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, Betts had also began wondering if maybe the object was the cause of the fire but didn't find any impact area where it would have crashed to the earth. It was found sitting on the surface of the ground amongst the burned trees and brush. So basically, big fire, this this sphere is just sitting there in the middle of it. More than likely, the cause of it. So it doesn't sound like a cannonball? No, I mean, it's the size of it. It's close to the size of a cannonball, but it's... But uh, but if it came firing in, it would have been embedded. It would have been in the ground, probably, and uh, it... Itself, I mean, it's all shiny. There's pictures of the sphere. I'll post some on social media, but there's no damage to it. It's not. It's not an old cannonball. Obviously, yeah. you know, it's metallic. It's shiny. It's, you know, it's nice metal. So it's pretty pristine. Yeah, it's yeah. in perfect shape. So unable to determine what the object was, the bets decided to take the sphere home with them. Terry took the sphere and placed it on his windowsill, and didn't really think much about it again for another couple of weeks. So Terry's the son, and uh, Terry was with his friend Lisa Frazier in his room practicing his guitar when they noticed a humming sound. When he stopped playing, the humming went away. When he played again, the humming sound returned. He noticed that the louder he played, the louder the hum became. 
It became so loud that the family's dog began to howl and try to cover its ears. The humming was coming from the sphere itself. Terry brought the sphere out into the living room to show his parents what it was doing. They were puzzled by why it was humming and vibrating and also witnessed the dog getting upset and whimpering when it did. At this point, they also noticed that when they set the sphere on the ground, that if they pushed it just slightly, it would move forward, say like it'd roll for like eight feet, then it would stop, it'd make a turn, and then it would turn again, and then it would return back to the person who pushed it. So the object seemed to be moving on its own. They'd repeat this time and time again, it, almost, every, almost every time. Sometimes it would remain in motion for sometimes up to five minutes. And there was one time they said it remained in motion for over 12 minutes before it would ever come to a complete stop. At, at first, they started to think maybe this object was a, a gyroscope. You, you know those. You know, yeah. This is a lot of stuff that works with balance and keeping the stuff up. But, yeah, like a perpetual motion. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Terry was intrigued by this, so he decided to try and test the fear and see if he could learn more about it. So what does a guy do when he wants to test something? Gets a hammer. (laughs) 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 So he got a hammer from the garage and lightly hit the sphere with it. The sphere rang like a bell from from the blow. So this tells us it's the hollow moon. Hollow moon. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) No, it did. it, It rang. Terry took the sphere and shook it vigorously and placed it on the ground. He said the sphere seemed to come alive. He described it as if it was a it was jumping around like a Mexican jumping bean, like it was trying to get away from him. So Terry Terry placed it on the living room coffee table and it began to move around. When it come close to the edge, it would move back towards the center of the table. It's like it was trying to find its way around the table, trying to avoid the edges. So it was like an educated moving, though. Yeah. At one point, they picked up one side of the coffee table to see if it would roll off, but instead the sphere began to roll up the table, defying gravity as if it was trying to prevent itself from falling off the edge. The sphere was at first slightly magnetic. It was able to hold like a small object, like a paperclip, I think is what they said. Put a paperclip on the side and... you know, it would stay. It would stick to the side of it, but the more it moved around, the stronger the, the magnet became. Uh, once, after the ball had rolled around, they stuck a mayonnaise cover. Just so you know, back in the day, youngins, that mayonnaise covers used to be made of metal. <laughs> They're all plastic now. That was more with your generation. Yeah, it was mostly <laughs> your generation. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> back when you guys used the Pony Express. <laughs> So, yeah, they they actually stuck a mayonnaise uh, cover to it, and they were unable to pry it off. Later on, it, like the bond has started to fade as time passed, and they were able to, able to remove the cover itself. But it, the, how strong it was just increased with the amount it moved around on the ground. When the sphere was placed outside, it appeared to react to weather conditions. The sphere's ability were more intense on sunny days leading the family to believe that it may have been solar-powered. The sphere would start to hum and vibrate as if a motor was running inside of it. It would get warm, and when they brought it back into the house, it would remain warm for several days at a time. The sphere would move around so much that they began to keep it 
in an old bowling ball bag that they had around the house. So I mean that's it's the size it's pretty close to the size of a bowling. It's a little smaller than a uh, bowling ball. Sounds like a pet, <laughs> right? It, it totally sounds like a pet. It's like a tamagotchi. <clears throat> so the bets didn't keep this weird secret from friends and family, and soon word spread about it. Friends convinced the bets to go public with the sphere, and a call was placed to the Florida Times Union newspaper. An article was written and published in April. April 1974. The article told of all the things the sphere could do as described by the Mrs. Betts, Jerry. Jerry's the, the mom. I, at first I kept getting that screwed up. Yeah. So, and she, she, Jerry's, she's running the family for sure. You don't hear much about dad, Antoine. So other area papers became curious, and the local Jacksonville paper sent a photographer out to photograph uh, to get some pictures of the sphere. <laughs> <With that. laughs> Lou Egner. He was a skeptic when he came to take the pictures, but upon his return, he believed that there was definitely something going on with this that he couldn't explain. The press wasn't the only ones who were interested in the sphere once word got out. NASA and the U.S. military were both interested in the mysterious sphere. Several different people came to inspect it. Even the Navy admitted that they didn't know where it might have come from, and even declared that it didn't belong to the U.S. government. That's what they say at first. So, during this publicity, it caught the attention of Dr. J. Allen Hynek. If you guys recognize that name, uh, Hynek was... He's the one that ran Project Blue Book. So he was the one that was in charge of researching UFOs and stuff like that. So he kind of shows up into this one. Uh, He requested that the family send it to his office in Chicago for inspection. But the family refused. At which point it would never be seen again. Yeah, that's exactly what they were afraid of. The family refused because of fear that it would not be returned and lost to the government. Not a chance. Nope. Hell, this thing could have burned down their property. At least they can own it. <laughs> they lost 88 acres to this. Yeah, charge 10 bucks a head. Right? <laughs> so, and this family, they're not hurting for money or anything like that. They're a more well-to-do family. Love a good mystery that leaves you wanting more? Check out my podcast. Hi, I'm Kadra, the host of Perplexity, a Mystery Podcast. I tell tales every single week that have left me perplexed. You'll hear true crime cases, mysterious disappearances, learn about cults, hear baffling sightings of cryptids, chilling paranormal encounters, and even dark and weird history. I release new episodes every Wednesday, and you can listen anywhere podcasts are available I'm also on Patreon, and you can even watch me on YouTube. Perplexity, a mystery podcast. Stories that will leave you perplexed. You know, if you want to, you're the government. You want to see it, you come to me. Yeah, absolutely. Screw you, I'm not sending you. Sometime later, things around the house began to escalate with the spear. They said they began to hear organ sounds, music at night, even though no organ was present. Doors began to open and close on their own. After this, the family decided it might be best to allow the scientists to examine it. So they sent it to, they actually brought it to the Jacksonville 
Naval Air Station. So I don't know if I wrote this in here, but Jerry, the mom, actually made them sign a contract that said that they could look at it for two weeks. This lady was smart. She said they could look at it for two weeks, but if they couldn't prove that it was theirs, that it belonged to them, that they had to give it back to, to them. So they had two weeks. That was it. So they put the sphere through a series of tests. They found that they were unable to penetrate the object with any of their tools. They tried to do x-rays on the ball to no avail. They also ran a spectrograph to determine what type of metal it was made of. They were able to determine that the sphere's weight, diameter, and thickness, they were able to determine all of those. The sphere was one half inch thick, but could withstand the pressure of over 120,000 pounds per square inch. The coating was made of some type of stainless steel that had a metallic alloy. You, that's not normal. You know, regular stainless steel isn't magnetic. You know, yeah. if you get a stainless steel fridge, go ahead and stick a magnet to it. You see, it ain't going to stick. Yeah. It was also found to be resistant to corrosion, but that's all stainless steel is resistant to corrosion. Eventually, they were able to get x-rays. They had to use bigger machines. I don't know what bigger, they, but they were able to get some x-rays. And they revealed, so this, I watched a couple different documentaries on this and read some different articles and stuff. And if, this information is a little different in each one of them. But I believe this one is to be true. They revealed that there was three round objects at the center of the spear that seemed to have wires attached to them. The reason I say this is because there's an x-ray out there. In other ones I've seen, they said there was two. But when I look at the x-ray, the x-rays aren't great, but it looks like there's three from what I can tell. Right. Three small, smaller spheres inside of the sphere itself, in the center. It also found that there, it had four different magnetic poles. Two positive and two negative. They did say that the object was not radioactive or explosive. They did request that they be able to break up the sphere to examine it closer, but Jerry Betts refused to allow them to do that. And they did actually eventually return it to the Betts, and it was the sphere that they gave them. I would have been questioning whether I was getting the real sphere back. Absolutely. It ain't beyond the government to hand you a yeah, fake one. Absolutely. Another agency did inspect the object. So the Omega Minus One Institute, under the guidance of Dr. Carl Wilson, uh, during inspection, they determined that the sphere did emit radio waves and said that the shell had an unknown element that was different from normal steel. He also discovered that it had four magnetic poles, but was unable to explain the patterns of the poles he said it defied the laws of physics. In the end, the organization came to pretty much the same conclusion as the Navy. They didn't know what it was. You know, it was a lot of stuff that they couldn't explain. But, but years later, it was discovered that the Omega Minus One was never really an agency. No information could be found to prove that Dr. Wilson was even a real person. It is believed that it may have been set up by a foreign government trying to gather intel for themselves what the object might be. Sometime after this, some men claiming to be scientists showed up at the Betts' home and offered them $750,000 for the sphere. Jerry thought the men seemed very suspicious and declined their offer and told the men that the sphere wasn't there at the home. The men left and Jerry looked into their story. Everything that they had told her turned out to be a lie. 
Later that year, some members of the group APRO, we've mentioned them before, convinced Betts to bring the sphere to the UFO Congress. They were having an event, an event that was set up by the National Enquirer. Everybody knows the National Enquirer. It's got to be legit. So here's the deal. This is set up by the National Enquirer. The whole thing was they were offering a cash prize, and this is another where it differed. I saw one that said it was a $25,000 cash prize. Another one said it was $50,000. I thought it was twenty five, but there's yeah. some info out there saying it was fifty, just so so you can't call me on it. It's one of the two. <laughs> but they would give that money to anyone who could prove the existence of extraterrestrial life. So this Congress, uh, the panel that they set up was actually set up some very credible individuals. So, you know, like you think it's the inquirer, you think they're gonna get a bunch of crackpots. Or was this set up for a reason? So Dr. Robert Cregan is one of the panelists. Dr. R. Leon Sprinkle. That sounds fake. (laughs) (laughs) And guess who? Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Yeah. And Dr. James Albert Harder. There's a panel of four doctors. And then Hynek. He's one of the doctors. So we know about him. The panel claimed after inspecting the object that it was man-made and that it functioned as an audio transmitter. So the bets were denied any reward for the contest. They didn't get any money for it, but oops. Sorry, just knocking shit over here in the studio. Don't mind me. Um, But later, Dr. Uh, James Albert Harder, one of the doctors on the panel was allowed to re-examine it. And in August of that same year, he made an announcement at the International Congress of UFOs in Chicago that floored everyone. He stated that the elements of the smaller objects at the middle of the sphere were made of an element that was heavier than any element here on Earth. The heaviest elements ever created on Earth has an atomic number of 105. Uranium, which is the highest element that exists naturally on Earth, is 92. The elements inside of the Bet sphere was believed to be 140. He states that if someone tried to split that sphere, that it could ex- explode like an atomic bomb. While Terry was at the office of the Enquirer, he received a call that his mother had been in an accident. Terry tried to call his mother, but no matter how many times he called, he couldn't get through. Unable to get a hold of anyone, Terry flew back immediately, leaving the sphere behind. When Terry got home, his mother was fine. Jerry told her son to get back and get this fear now. So somebody called and said that his mom been in an accident. They schooled him. Yep, and they separated from him from the sphere. When he arrived, when he arrived back, the inquirer seemed to be stalling when he asked for it. And he told him he told them they needed to return it now. And but that eventually they admitted that they no longer had it. They admitted that the people on the panel had taken the ball to New Orleans to run more tests. (laughs) Terry immediately drove there to get it. When he arrived, the sphere was now being guarded by the Navy. He is told while the sphere is being tested, he isn't allowed to go near it. You know, to be honest with you, at this point, if that one doc really did think it was something that could blow up, I can understand them taking it if it's... 
if there is elements in it that it could be an atomic bomb. But I mean, but they, that, of course, they don't go Same about time, it the right way. They, they right would have made way. that shit up anyway just to take it. Right. Absolutely. They're going to give them the story yeah. that they want to give them. So, but they weren't suspicious of the the harder. It was, you know, of course, it was Heineck. All right. Uh, he was, I said that part. Supposedly, the test didn't show anything new, and it was actually eventually given back to Terry. When Terry was leaving, a group of reporters tried to get Terry to show them what this the sphere and what it could do. When Terry placed the sphere on the ground, it didn't do anything. It didn't hum. It didn't move. Nothing. Terry leaves and soon re- receives a call from his sister that there were people waiting for him at the airport. So instead of flying, he decided to drive back. When Terry arrived home in Florida, the family did decide to have it re-examined. The sphere no longer had four magnetic poles. The ball now had a seam, which was not present before it was taken. (laughs) Shocking. Yep. The center no longer contained three smaller spheres. It was empty. The bets claimed that they had been warned by Dr. Harder to be careful around Dr. Hynek because he didn't trust him. Harder believed that Hynek had the sphere switched out with a fake. It was said that some years later, after Heineck passed away, his son made a statement about his dad having some sphere at the house that was related to a UFO case. So, like I said, he was Heineck was the guy in you know checking out all the UFOs. Heineck's the one I mentioned earlier, swamp gas. He's the one that came up with the swamp gas excuse for an you know for a UFO sighting. So, you know, so he, what you take away from all these stories that we've covered, all the just just. Essentially, just keep your mouth shut. Is you really? I mean, yeah, you're just going to get screwed anyway. No matter what, they're going to. The government doesn't work out. Going public does not work out for any of these people. It never does. I mean, I guess if they could have given it, they could have taken the seven hundred fifty thousand from the people who offered it. And this family's not hurting for money. No, you know, son's about to be. That isn't the point, though. No, they're always showing up with these lies, and you know, and make you look stupid, and then take whatever it is off your hands, and you know, lie about where it went, and what it was, and what it did, and yep. Uh, and I think that seven hundred fifty thousand. They said it was worth like four million. You know, that's like the equivalent of four million today. Yeah, it was seven hundred fifty thousand. Shit, man, back then yeah, <laughs> you could live it up. Seventy four. Now you yeah. can't even buy a house for that. Uh, that would have bought a lot of cocaine in nineteen. Oh hell yeah, would have. <laughs> <laughs> would have bought a love of that. A lot of that free love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Betts quickly became disillusioned with the matter, continuously being harassed by the press, and they believed they were being followed by special agents. Mr. Betts even claimed that he was assaulted by someone pretending to be a repairman. The Betts soon after sold their home and moved away from Florida. No longer talking about the silver ball that they had, no longer talking about the silver ball that had once made them famous, no books were written, no movies made, no more interviews done. Nothing. A few people have come forward to claim that they knew that what the object was. James Durling Jones, an artist, claimed that he lost the sphere while driving through that area. He claimed that he was collecting scrap metal and received the ball from a friend who had stole it. He said that it was a ball from a check valve for some industrial equipment. Used as a flow regulator inside large pipes. He claimed that it had, he had it on top of his VW van, 
and uh, it must have fallen off. But the ball, when they found, was over a mile away from the road. It was in the middle of their property. And the balls that those balls do exist, you know, those check valves, but they usually weigh about seven to eight pounds. This was 21 pounds. You think all these doctors and shit they had looking at it would have had to identify it as a check well, valve. It had no seams. It had not, yeah, you know, if it, you do a check valve, it's going to have seams. They're going to know what it is. You think these big. are. Yeah. yeah. So what is the real bet sphere? Is it still out there? Is it sitting in a bowling bag in someone's storage just waiting to be discovered again? Was it really anything more than a ball from a check valve? We'll probably never know. There are some people that believe that it was a Foo Fighter. You remember what the Foo Fighter? Like Not that. the band. It wasn't a, it, a, it wasn't a guitarist. A German term for UFO, I believe. The right? the term Foo Fighter, it was used by Allied uh aircraft pilots during World War II. It, it described various unidentified flying objects and mysterious aerial phenomenon seen in the skies over both European and Pacific theaters of operations. So the Foo Fighters, these pilots, when they were flying in World War II, they said these they would always claim that there was these other small. They basically, I think, described the original description was a sphere-like object. So, um, I I get. I mean, that would make sense if something there was a Foo Fighter and it came, you know, crashing down to Earth and lit that whole property up on fire. But I, you know, who really knows? No. So like all the opposite poles of whatever you describe it, it almost sounds like a mini generator to me. I mean, it it heats up in the sun, it holds that heat, it does I mean, maybe it was a foo fighter came down that was damaged. Maybe it was a ball check. It doesn't valve, sound like a check valve. No. I mean it's it's a crazy story. And you'd be like, Well, that sounds like a totally bullshit story. It happened. There's a bunch of articles out there. I'll post them. You know, if there's, there's photos of the sphere, it existed. This panel really happened. All this shit really happened. If we all laugh at the story and dismiss it as a bullshit story, that then they won again. That's what That's they exactly want. That's exactly what they want. That's exactly what you they know, want. I didn't see it, but it doesn't sound like a check valve. It doesn't sound like, you know, it doesn't sound man-made at all. But And the crazy part is if it if it was all those things and Heineck just kept it at his house, you know what I mean? You know what? It, you know when I was reading it? Check fells don't run uphill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't move on their own. No, they, don't. they don't hum. They don't do any of that. Uh, it reminded me of the shape and all the size and everything. If you've ever listened to Bob Lazar, he's the one that claimed that he worked at Area 51. And he had the, uh, I believe it was a spear that sat on a plate that was the, it was the anti part of the anti gravity for the craft. Yeah. For a spacecraft. I mean, just, I don't know if the size is the same or I didn't look into it. I'm going to do Bob Lazier one of these days. It's such a deep case. But uh it reminded me of that. But I mean that's just part. I don't think I don't think that's what it was, but it reminded me of that. Yeah, I don't remember him talking about that, but he yeah, I, I think he's legit. He talked oh, yeah, about all I, kinds of fascinating stuff for sure. So, um, but anyways, that's the bet sphere. If you guys have any more info on it, if you have any questions or anything, you know, Hit us up on Instagram, any other social media. Email us, beyondtheshadows207 at gmail.com. Uh, that was an awesome story, but I was not familiar with that one at all, and I'm definitely going to look into that one more. I definitely want to see a picture of that one, actually. So uh, Yeah, I'll post them up on social media. So We'll see you guys a sec in a second in the uh, fire pit. Thanks for listening, guys. I guess you know what time it is. You can't drive that fire pit. Fire pit. Fire pit. Fire pit.
Uh, so this week's fire pit actually comes in from Tyler from the Men of Misfortune podcast and his uh, wife, Stephanie, are going to tell this week's tale. Yeah, the Men of Misfortune is a, a comedy podcast with uh, three rotating segments from Dubuque, Iowa. The Men of Misfortune is a podcast where they drink, have fun while they're reading some fucked up stories. So they do cr- true crime, anime, bizarre news stories, all kinds of stuff. It's it's fun. There's a lot of different guys on there. Yeah, you know, uh, Tyler's the he's the main guy running the show, but they rotate a lot of guys out there, and they have a lot of fun. It's a good show. Check so. them out, guys. All right, so here's their story. Hey, what's going on? First, I wanted to take a second to thank Ryan and Scott for uh, having us on. Uh, my name is Tyler Campbell from Men of Misfortune Podcast. And I'm Tyler's wifey, Stephanie. And today we are going to be talking about our haunted house that we lived in. Um, basically, with this house, we noticed things almost right off the bat. If tales of ghostly hauntings... Bigfoot encounters, extraterrestrial interactions, and cosmic awakenings are your cup of tea? Then join me, Eric Salagi, host of Uncomfortable Podcast, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Make uncomfortable your home for the topics that reside on the fringe of our reality. Eyewitnesses, researchers, and experiencers Join me on a weekly basis to delve into their paranormal and otherworldly experiences. Heard in over 65 countries worldwide, follow Uncomfortable Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your casts. Uncomfortable is now presented in video form on YouTube as well. So, as always, my friends, stay uncomfortable. So this house was definitely one of those first houses that you, you get to kind of get your, you know, get your foundation, your bearings. You can definitely tell with how, uh, if I, the worst part, if it wasn't the cacti, it was the carpeted stairway and that stairway, the, it has like a candy stripe, white and yellow, like pattern to it. And like the carpet was red, which made, to me, the color scheme was just weird but it was like almost immediately when we started noticing strange things about the house i mean it was like week one so during that first week like moving in we're packing our boxes or unpacking our boxes um and i'm in the dining room and i guess unbeknownst to me tyler's in that front room uh of our our house which is out of view of, of what i can normally see in a dining room so my in my peripheral I end up seeing what I think is Tyler walk behind me into the kitchen um, and my dog, Willow, follow him. And from the kitchen, you could go down to the basement. So, you know, I'm unpacking the box and, and I needed to ask him a question. There was something I, yeah, I don't recall the, the question, but I start calling for him and he's not answering. And so I follow him, you know, what I think is him, you know, into the kitchen. He's not there. I go downstairs to the basement, and there's no one. So at the same exact time, I'm still on the first floor in that front room. 
I hear a loud bang come from upstairs. Like loud, I mean loud. And we don't have any other pets at this time, only the dog. So I hear this loud bang from upstairs. And I slowly start walking up the stairs and I say, Stephanie, hey, Steph, hey, Steph. I mean, this is this house isn't big enough to make like to be a real problem with sound. So you'd assume that she'd answer. By the time I get halfway up the second flight of stairs, Stephanie is calling my name from the bottom of the first floor. I stop and I go, if she's down there, what the hell was that? And so then we're talking about it afterwards, you know, and I'm asking him like, hey, did you go downstairs? Because when I did go downstairs and I, I was looking for him. When he heard that bang, I also heard a bang. And he's not there, so I'm like, maybe, maybe he dropped something. I was like, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I just, you know, thought somebody went down there. And, you know, I run up the stairs because I think something's horribly wrong. And I start looking for him, you know, and that's at that point when I'm calling him from the bottom of the stairs. So we, we kind of tell our stories together. And there was nothing, nothing that could have explained this loud bang. Nothing fell. But that wasn't exactly all that happened after, I want to say, probably week two, maybe week three of us living there. We started having the fire alarms individually go off. And it got to the point where we started pulling out batteries. And it wasn't unusual for me to run up the stairs. And by the time I would get almost all the way to the fire detector to, you know, push the button off it would turn off on its own. There would also be times where I'd be laying in bed with Stephanie and it would go off at four o'clock in the morning. And my first reaction is to scream, Hey, shut the fuck up. And it almost right after me saying it turned off and we both just kind of stopped and tried to ignore it, honestly, because I'm somebody that doesn't believe in the supernatural, even though I've kind of had these experiences, it's, it's weird. Like this, this whole case kind of like brought me to believing almost. And, um, I think one of the, one of, one of the good instances to, I feel like back that up, um, and, and back up his belief when it comes to it, it actually being real is, um, I was laying in bed, he was at work and, um, the fire alarm that would, or the smoke detector that would typically go off was the one right outside of our bedroom door. And, you know, I'm sitting, I'm laying down in, you know, in bed and, uh, my dog, you know, Willow, and she, she comes up to, to the bedroom door and she's just staring at our bedroom door. And my dog is very loud. She's very much a, a dog that if, if anybody, and even if she knew who you were, if you're behind a door and she hears something and you're not supposed to be there, she will bark. But she's just staring at this door. She just sat there and stared. And, you know, I'm like, Willow, Willow, Willow. And, and she's, she's definitely a dog that also come to me when I call her. And no response. None. And that's when the fire alarm goes off. That's when the smoke detector starts, starts beeping. You know, and I'm sending him Snapchats. I'm sending him messages saying, Tyler, like, this is, this is weird. This is, this was odd. And then I'm starting to hear footsteps downstairs. And that's when I'm starting to think that, you know, there's an intruder. It's less about that supernatural aspect. And it was more like, 
I wonder if somebody's downstairs in my house. Like, did I lock the door? And, you know, should I stay up here? You know, am I safer with my dog? Yeah. Then we come to um, an occasion that happened more than I would have liked to have had it happen. Um, there, there would be times where I would hear sounds of people walking, uh, whether it would be us chilling on uh, the couch in our living room and we would hear footsteps run up the steps when it was just Stephanie and I, and we would stop, we would hear it and we would, we would question ourselves. We, I don't, sometimes we wouldn't even talk about it. We would hear it and we both kind of just like look at the floor or, or try to avoid it and just, you know, know that it just like deep down inside, we know that there's something going on. Uh, there would also be nights where we would be sleeping and where our room was, was right above where our front door is. And all of our floors in this house, other than the stairway had carpet or had, had wood floors. My bad had wood floors. You could hear when somebody would be walking. You could hear it from the upstairs. I believe that there was one night where we decided, cause I sleep with the TV on, believe one night we decided to turn the TV off and just kind of have a quiet night. I shit you not guys. We could hear more than one person walking around on our base floor. And we, we didn't know how to react. It's, it's, it's one of those things where you don't want to get out of bed because that's how white people die. But you also, you know, you want to know what's going on. You want to know what's going on in your house. We've got two small kids. So, like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I have to go see if somebody is downstairs. And there would always be nobody downstairs. It would just be us. Because, because that's the thing. Like, it's when we had our son, Callan, um, you know, he was in the room with us. But, you know, having, you know, uh, Tyler's son, he was in a whole different room. He was across the hall. So it was one of, it, I agree, it was one of those things that you wanted to, to check, you wanted to see because, you know, or, or at least run over to the other side of the hallway and just kind of grab, grab that kid and bring him back into the bedroom and just, you know, hunker down. Um, but it was, it was, it made me cry. It, like, there was times when it, it scared me so much that I, I cried. And it, I, it definitely made me believe in, in the supernatural, if anything would. I'm still waiting for something more to reach out and touch me. I think that's what my hang-up is. I, I could be going crazy. I could just be hearing shit. I could have pareidolia. I could... I, I could just, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, it could be anything. I, I don't know what I'm really waiting for other than just being, like, actually touched or physically harmed, like, Zach Bagans and Ghost Bagans. Adventures. Zach Bagans. The part two to the misfortune story is we would normally come home, which home for us is about five hours away, and we had friends we would stay with. My particular best friend is uh, my co-host on the show, Riley Wallen. Um, I'd come and see him, and he had a pretty old house. Uh, he would always have a stay in his office, which was always right across from his bedroom. And normally when we would go to Riley's house, we would normally get good and fucked up. I'm talking like we are drunk at 4 o'clock in the morning, 
singing songs, having a great, great old time until one of us passes out. He and I one day went, you know, basically stopped drinking. We were like, all right, it's probably about time for us to go to bed. We've got stuff going on. He went to his room. I went to go lay down in the office on the air mattress. And as I'm laying there in the absolute complete silence of his house, I could hear people talking outside of the door. And this probably had been an hour after we had already said our goodbyes. And I, 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 could, I could hear exactly what the fuck they were saying. I opened up the door. There was nobody up. There was no noise coming from Riley's room. There was no noise coming from the room we were originally in. It was, it was pretty crazy. Again, I just wanted to thank Ryan and Scott for having us on. Beyond the Shadows is an incredible podcast. I absolutely love you guys. I've loved getting to know you guys. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, tell our story. And uh, I can't wait to, you know, sit down and talk to you guys. That was an awesome that story. That was a badass story. He it's went like all a, out, man. There's a bunch of levels to that story. Yeah, it what, sounds like The Conjuring House there for a little bit. You yeah. Know what I mean? He put in music. He I had know. sound effects. <laughs> He's a good do, dad. He, I don't have to do any editing. Yeah. He did it. <laughs> He's a good dad. He takes care of his kid. I I, if Liam said there's something going on, I'd be like, well, go check it out. Let me know. <laughs> Hide under your bed like a normal <laughs> kid. I don't hear it. Go, check it out. Let me know. Tell me Get back it. with me. Tell me about it in the morning. <laughs> No, that's a great story. We really appreciate you guys Look, sending that in. Check me, out that podcast. Me and Scott definitely want to co-host one with uh, Tyler and Riley and getting all fucked up and talk about all kinds of Yeah, crazy for shit. sure. We got some stories of our own. So, yeah. That sounds good. Uh, thanks, guys. That was a great story. Definitely appreciate you guys submitting that. Uh, check out that show. That was uh, the Men of Misfortune podcast. Uh, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Later, guys. Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm the host of Tales, Trails, and Taverns. In this show, Rob and I like to take an active approach by hiking out to haunted, creepy, and abandoned places. We love the adventure and discovering the dark history of the locations we visit. We release a new episode every Friday on Apple, Spotify, and Patreon, as well as bonus episodes on varying Tuesdays. But don't just take my word for it, we have great listeners who have left some awesome reviews. Oh, I love adventure, but during those times when I can't get into the outback, oh, I like to listen to Tales, Trails, and Taverns. Those boys dig deep into the dark history, and their first-hand experiences really delivers the excitement. This podcast is a beaut. Back when I was the governor, I didn't have time to listen to podcasts. But now that I'm retired from politics, I can focus on my two passions, pumping iron and listening to tales, trails, and taverns. It doesn't matter who we are. What matters is that we all listen to tales, trails, and taverns. I love listening to the podcast. Wait, what's a podcast again? It's an audio show you listen to. Oh, like on the radio? Sort of, yeah. Okay. I love listening to Tulips and Tiddlywinks. It's Tales, Trails, and Taverns. And what do you do again? Hike to scary places and drink beer. Sounds terrifying. Okay. I like to listen to Terrifying Tea Time, but not on the radio. Uh, okay, thank you. You did great. You're welcome. Say, so you're kind of cute. Is there a Mrs. Tales, Trails, and Taverns? Now... No, you get it? No actual celebrities or political figures have endorsed tales, trails, and taverns. All the reviews you've heard were written fully by the host, George Lennox, as well as the impersonations of celebrities, politicians, and movie characters. I meant no harm. Please don't sue me.